and and we've seen him teach with authority. We've seen him gain a following. We've seen him forgive sins. We've seen him heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead. And that's all the things that we would expect a Messiah to do, as we know that he is the Messiah. But but he has left John in prison, and he has been labeled as a brat, and he has received quite a bit of opposition. And that's a little bit different than we would expect a Messiah to do. And so as we start to see the two polarizing reactions that Jesus brings, we start to get an idea of who his true followers are. But Jesus wants to make it extremely clear who his true followers are. And that's what he does tonight here in Luke chapter 8. He wants to show um, and, and explain very carefully who his true followers are. They are not those who just spend time with him. There are lots of people who spend time with Jesus. But he's not, he's, not, he's not going to allow them to think that they are his true followers. It's not. His true followers are not those who merely pay attention to what he has to say. Here, his true followers are, and here's a very profound statement, are those who follow him. The true followers of Jesus are those who follow him. That is, they hear his word and they put it into practice. And that's what he's going to lay out for us. Luke is going to help us to see this in these three stories that he gives about Jesus. And they are uh, really a way in which Jesus teaches. Each of these three stories points to that idea, that following Christ means listening to God's word and doing it, putting it into practice. All right, so let me read our passage and, uh, and then we'll study it here. In, in each section. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 4. This is the Word of God. When a large crowd was coming together and those from the various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. The sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, sowed some fell aside, beside the road, and it was trampled under the foot, and the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. And he said these things, and as he said these things, he would call out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant, and he said, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation, fall away. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they're choked with the worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Now, no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it, over with a container or puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret 
that will not be known and come to light. So take care how you listen. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. Whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. And his mother and brothers came to him, and they were unable to get to him because of the crowd. And it was reported to him, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. But he answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. Following Christ means hearing God's word and putting it into practice. In our passage tonight, we're going to see these three connected teachings by Jesus, and they all have to do with hearing the word of God. So before we look at each one, let me show you that they're all connected. So Jesus is going to tell the parable of the soils here in verses 4 through 8, and then after telling it, then um, then he, he, he shows that you need to that this parable has to do with the Word of God. Look at the meaning here in verse 11. Now, the, the parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. Okay, then in verse 15, these are the ones who have heard the Word. And in verse 18, Jesus commands us to take care how we listen. Here's the next teaching. How we listen, in other words, to the Word of God. And then in verse 21, here's the third teaching. His family are those who hear the Word of God and do it. One thing to be clear about is that when we think of the Word of God, what do we think of? We think about the completed 66 books of the Old and New Testaments, and um, and rightfully so, right? That is God's Word to us. But what we need to recognize is that when Jesus was saying this, what He had in mind, what His hearers would have heard, would not have been the 66 books of the completed canon. Instead, they would have heard him say and understood the message from God. In fact, another word, another synonym for that Greek word that's translated word of God could be translated the message from God or the message of God. And that's what they're thinking when they hear it. For them, they would have only had the Old Testament at this point. And so um, the point is, is that you need to listen to what God has to say to you. Listen to God's message, which would have been the Old Testament canon and now that Jesus has come, the words from Jesus. For us, it is, yes, all of that and more. Everything that we have in the Scriptures, that's the message from God. We don't hear outside of the Word of God. We don't hear God speak in any other way to us in this age. Okay, so for, so rightfully so, when we hear the Word of God, we should think, you know, the, the completed canon. But recognize for, for these original hearers, they would have been thinking of something different. All right, so the first thing that Jesus wants us to understand in verses 4 through 15 is that we must be careful how we hear God's word. We must be careful how we hear God's word. In verse 4, Jesus, leading up to this, Jesus had been doing some great miracles and had been teaching with authority. And as a result, he drew a large following. And so more and more people were coming to him. That's what it says in verse 4. They have this large crowd gathering him. They want to see the miracles. They want to experience the miracles. They want to hear the teaching. From this point on in Jesus' ministry, he would teach in public using parables. Let's look at that, uh, why he does that in verse 9. His disciples began questioning him about this parable of the soils that we're going to talk about. And... And this is what he re- he replies. This is how he replies in verse 10. To you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest, it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. So after 
Jesus gives the parables, the, the disciples don't understand. And so Jesus responds by saying, here's why they're, I'm giving you them this way. I want you to be able to understand what I'm talking about spiritually. And I want to hide, I want to hide these mysteries from, from these other people who should not hear. And when he talks about mysteries here in verse 10, to you it has been given to know the mysteries. Don't think like something that we need to unlock and we need to know. It's something that was formerly hidden. Like, like Paul talks about in Ephesians 3, these mysteries that were hidden in past ages now has been made known. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm unlocking the mysteries for you. It's something that was hidden from them, but now I'm unlocking it for you. And so I'm doing that. The way that I'm helping you to see that is through parables. So that you can understand and that they will still have it hidden. In, it, in this verse, verse 10, he quotes from Isaiah 6-9, which describes the hard-hardness of Israel. Remember when Isaiah is commissioned there in Isaiah 6, he says to Isaiah, you're going to go to people who aren't going to listen to you, by the way. They're going to hear you, but they, they won't listen. They won't understand, or, or they'll listen, but they won't hear. And they'll see, but they won't perceive. And so um, that's the kind of ministry you're going to have, Isaiah. And Jesus says, I'm, Jesus quotes from that saying, this is why I'm giving parables to people so that they won't be able to understand. He's using these parables as a means to keep them from going, uh, becoming more hardened to the truth. He's, he's wanting to protect them because with greater knowledge comes greater judgment. If you don't act rightly upon the knowledge that you have, you will receive a greater judgment. And so this is a kind way of Jesus protecting people who don't know the truth, who have not been illumined by the Holy Spirit of God. So here's a parable that he uses here in verses 5 through 8 in order to explain a spiritual truth. He uses this analogy that everyone in Israel would understand, even if they weren't a farmer. They would, they would know about farms because when you were traveling, you would be able to go to other people's farms and glean from their fields. The farmers were not supposed to glean or they were not supposed to harvest all the way to the edges of the field. That was for people who were foreigners or or travelers and and so on. And he's saying, you you know how this works, right? A farmer spreads a seed and some of it falls down on a beaten road. Some of it falls on uh, some ground that's not very deep. You know, you got like a rock bed below it. Other falls on the thorny soil, which probably decent soil, but the thorns just choke it out. doesn't allow it to grow. And then some of the seed falls on the good soil and it grows up and produces crops. So he explains this in verses uh, 5 through 8. And I think the crowd would have been thinking, okay, uh, what kind of spiritual significance does this have, right? Because at this point, he hasn't really told us anything. He just said, hey, there's a sower and he went out, the farmer went out to sow some seed. He spread some seed and went on four different kinds of ground. And they're like, okay. And that's why the disciples respond the way that they do in verse 9, right? Can, can you fill us in? And if you read Mark's Gospel, Jesus is a little bit harsher than he is in Luke in what, than what Luke records. But Jesus is like, if you don't understand this, what do you understand, right? But he goes ahead and tells them what the parable means in verses 11 through 15. At this point, uh, Jesus likely turns to his disciples alone and explains the parable. And he tells them that there are basically three kinds of growth. Four kinds of ground. Okay, three kinds of growth. 
first kind of growth is no growth. That's the ground, that's the, you throw it on the side of the road. The, the road's just been trampling down from people walking through, and so that seed just kind of lays right on the top of the soil. It never gets any, gets down any deeper. So no growth. The second type of growth is growth with no fruit. That's the rocky soil and the thorny soil. And then the third type of growth is real growth that bears fruit. Okay, so those are the four types of growth. No growth, growth with no fruit, and growth with fruit. And so he explains here, here what I'm talking about is the seed is the Word of God. This is not a passage about evangelism, you know, although I think there are some implications here. Our job is to just spread the seed and allow God to cause the seed to germinate. I think there's some implication there, but that's not the point that he's making. His point is there's four types of hearts or um, four types of responses to the Word of God. First, soil number one in verse 12 is the trampled down soil, the one on the road. This is the person who hears the message of the gospel, but they don't respond to it at all. Or they don't respond rightly. Why? Because the devil comes in and he takes the word away from him, from this hearer. Second type of soil is the rocky soil in verse 13. It's the soil that takes the seed and immediately produces something, but there's no depth. Because right below the surface, you have some nice soil on top of rock, right? Is that really ideal circumstances or ideal for a farmer to have rock right below the soil? And so he explains uh, that this is the type of person, verse 13, are those who when they hear receive the word with joy and they have no firm root because the rock below it, they believe for a while, but in time of temptation fall away. I think I skipped ahead there. Uh, no, that's the right one. Verse 13. Okay, so what what kind of person is this? Some suggest that this is a person who was saved. Okay, he grew up, and then he lost his salvation because he had no root. Okay, um, the problem with that obviously is John chapter 10 verses 27 through 29. My sheep know me; they hear my voice, and they 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 follow me. And they, they will never perish. Neither will anybody be able to pluck them out of my hand, my Father's hand, because my Father which gave them to me, Jesus says, is greater than all. And no man will be able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Okay, we other, have other evidences that, that salvation is once for all, that no one can lose their salvation. Um, and as we're going to see with the good soil... The ones who are truly saved are those who persevere until the end. So this cannot be a believer who then loses his salvation. It's someone who looked like a believer and never was. So, that, so some suggest it's a person who got saved and then lost their salvation. Obviously, we understand that to be wrong. Secondly, others suggest it's a believer who's not fruitful. It's, it's a believer who's not fruitful. Some people would call this a carnal Christian. Have you ever heard that phrase? Carnal Christian? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'll show you where this comes from. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The idea is that when a person comes to saving faith in Christ, well, they are initially a carnal or a fleshly Christian, as it says in the New American Standard. And that God is working in them to turn them away from carnal Christianity to a more mature, healthy Christian life. 
Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you, Paul says, as spiritual men, but as to, and here's that idea, men of flesh, or as carnal, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not yet able. For you're still fleshly, carnal. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly or carnal? Are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Paulus, are you not mere men? So this is where the idea of the carnal Christian comes from, or a fleshly Christian. But I would suggest to you that Paul here in 1 Corinthians 3 is actually using a, a form of speaking that we use today, and that's sarcasm. So he's saying, why do I have to talk to you as if you're carnal, if you're a Christian? Right, and the reason I know that is because of Romans chapter 8. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Here's the same idea. And what I want you to see in Romans chapter 8 is, is that what kind of person is the fleshly person? Is there any possibility, based on Romans 8, that a fleshly person could be a Christian? Romans 8, verse 6. For the mind set on the flesh is death. We could say the carnal mind is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace because the mindset on the flesh, the carnal mind is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. Sound like a Christian? Is a Christian hostile to God? Does he set his mind against the laws of God? Is he unable to obey the laws of God? No. So, so meditate on these verses. If, if you, you know, obviously the other place that people go is Revelation chapter 3. You know that um, John is talking about, actually he's recording what Jesus is saying to the church at Laodicea. And that I would love to just, that you are either hot or cold. Because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. But, but the idea there is that you are neither hot like water that's good for coffee, right? And you're neither that nor you're cold where you're good for refreshing drink on a hot day. You're neither one of those good uses of water. Instead, you're lukewarm, and so I spit you out of my mouth. His point there is not that there are carnal Christians. His point is that you are worthless. If if you live uh, if you live against what the what the, the scriptures teach, so um, so this second you can turn back to Luke chapter eight. The second idea of this rocky soil is is that first is it's a believer who lost his salvation. Second is it's a believer who's carnal. And I'm arguing from uh, the greater theology, okay, other parts of scripture that there is no such thing as a carnal Christian. That an unfruitful believer is an oxymoron. That a carnal Christian is a sarcastic way to say, wake up. Christians don't live like that. That's what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 3. Okay, So I don't think that that's what this rocky soil is referring to. The, the, what I believe is the correct interpretation is that this person, this second type of soil, is a person who follows Jesus for his miracles and his gifts only but then turns away because he has no depth. 
his the roots of his heart have not reached down to the source of spiritual life because of that rocky soil that's there. All right? Um, look at verse uh, 13 again. Just look at the end of the verse. Notice, they believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. They believe for a while, but in time of temptation they fall away. They have a they have a uh, a type of faith that is short lived. It's it's a faith that doesn't produce works, that doesn't bear fruit. And what kind of faith does James call that in James chapter two? Even so, faith without works is dead. Even though a we we could say it this way: a Christian who is carnal is dead. He, he's not a Christian. Okay, that's the point. Not that he once was a Christian, then he lost it. He never was. Christians don't live fleshly. That is, as a general pattern of life, they don't live that way. Not that they never fall into sin. I hope you recognize that. That's not what Jesus is teaching. The point is, they persevere till the end. The general direction is one of sanctification, of growth, glory. Soil number three in verse 14. Soil number three, the thorny soil. This person hears the message and then and and then bears fruit. The problem is it's the wrong kind of fruit. Instead of bearing the fruit of the Spirit, this pr- person bears the fruit of wealth and pleasure and power. These people embrace the message of God initially, but they don't persevere to the point of per- bearing the right kind of fruit. Instead, they get choked out by the things of this life. You ever known someone like this? person who looked every bit like every other Christian you know. They loved the Word of God. Notice verse 14 again. The seed which fell among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard, and we can imply from the previous verses, who have heard the Word of God, God's message, and notice, as they go on their way. So, they hear God's Word, and then they go on their way, But then what happens? They get pulled away from the message of God. By what? By the cares of this world. The worries and the riches and the pleasures. They get pulled away by the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. They're more enamored with the shiny objects of the world than they are about the glory of God in the face of Christ. Jesus said that we can't serve two masters. The people represented by these by this soil are those who are trying to follow God up the difficult hills of the Christian life that has a deep a steep drop off. Okay, just a picture of a mountain. I don't know if you've driven up some of these with no guardrails. Okay, Tennessee, where are you thinking? Alaska, okay? When we were in Tennessee just this past summer in the Rockies, yeah. I, I, I thought everybody had, every mountain has guardrails. Every, all those other things you see on the movies that can't be real. But we're going up towards in, in Gatlinburg, and I was shocked at how steep these drop offs were as we're going up to the, the house that we were renting. It was amazing. And, and it's as if 
this type of person in this type of soil is walking up the difficult path of the Christian life with one edge, one foot on the road, hopping their way up, and the other foot hanging over the edge, thinking that he's going to be okay, what eventually is going to happen to someone who's teetering on the edge of destruction? He's either going to get rescued, like Jude talks about, rescue them from the flames by, by one of us, or he's going to fall off and show that he never really was a Christian. It's only a matter of time before he falls permanently. That's the type of soil that Jesus is talking about. Those people who are teetering, they're trying to serve two masters at the same time. So they got their, I'm a bondservant to you, Christ, and I'm a bondservant to you, cares of this world. And they're getting pulled apart because those two things are opposed to each other. Jesus and the cares of this world. God says it doesn't happen. Eventually you're going to cut ties with Jesus and walk away, showing yourself never to have been a believer. The fourth type of soil is a good soil. Verse 15, But the seed and the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart, hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Okay, So they have a good heart, they follow the word carefully, and they, here's the key, they bear fruit. Notice that phrase there towards the end of the verse. They hold it fast. They hold the Word of God fast. This comes from one Greek word that has the idea of making a beeline toward a specific goal. It's the same word that's used in Acts 27.40. Luke, by the way, is the author of Acts. Okay, In his second volume, he says, he's talking about Paul and the crew when they're shipwrecked just outside of Malta and they have to make, uh, they, they have to make their way to the shore. They, they've already been shipwrecked for... for several nights finally they get there they see land and they make a beeline they hold it fast the idea here is that that we need to keep a singular focus on the final goal on what we're trying to do as Christians and we make a beeline directly for that goal that's the people who hear the word properly and respond to it and the evidence of saving faith is perseverance Look at the end of the verse. They hold it fast. God's Word, they hold it fast. They they see what God's Word wants them to do and they make a beeline for it. And they bear fruit with perseverance. Now look back up to verse 12. That's the expected result. Those beside the road are those who have heard. But the devil comes away and takes away the Word from their heart so they will not believe and be saved. What's the opposite of that? That he doesn't take the Word, they do believe, and they are saved. That is that that this word takes so takes root in such a way that it causes us to continue on all the way until the end. That we don't give up. That's what the word is supposed to do in the life of the believer. It is a person who hears the word of God, who holds it fast and bears fruit with perseverance. So Jesus uses this parable to teach us the importance of first hearing properly. He continues that thought in verses 16 to 18 by saying, here's the next point, how you hear God's Word will be made known. How you hear God's Word will come to be known by other people. It it will become evident. That's what this parable of the the, uh, light is about. Okay, So he uses another parable here. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it, verse 16, or puts it under a bed. He puts it on a lampstand that that those who come may see the light, for nothing is hidden 
verse 17, that will not become evident or anything secret that will not be made known and will come to the light. You ever thought about that? What's the purpose of the light in your house? In your house? Is it not to give light? Right? You don't light up a flashlight when it's really dark and you put it in a drawer, right? No, you, you use it. You want it, you want to be able to see with it. The same thing is true with the candle. We don't light a candle and put it under our bed unless we want a really big light, right? No, the purpose of the lamp in the house is to put it in a place where it can spread its light and and take over the darkness. And the point that Jesus is making here is that that lighting your lamp, how you light your lamp is going to going to be seen by other people. Look at verse 17. Nothing is hidden that will not become evident. Okay, so the way that you respond here with your lighting of the lamp, and this is not talking about evangelism, is going to be evident. Here's the explanation in verse 18. So take care how you listen. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And he goes on. Okay, What he's talking about here is how you listen to God's Word. That's what he just finished talking about in verses 4 to 15. How you listen is important. And now he's saying, how you listen will be made known. It's going to be made known to other people. That's why he says in verse 18, so take care how you listen, because that's your light. How you respond to the Word of God is going to be made known to other people. It's going to be made known to God. And your hearing will not only affect your own response, it will also have ramifications for others around you. So Jesus says, be careful how you listen. There are two kinds of responses that we can have to what we hear. There are two kinds of people that respond, I should say. At the end of verse 18, those who have listened well, if you listen well to God's Word, then you're going to receive more. So it says there, for whoever has to him more shall be given. And then, Whoever doesn't listen well, even what he thinks he has will be taken from him. For those people who don't bear fruit, all the beauty of the truth will be taken away from them at the time of judgment and they will be exposed. Greg. Right. Yeah, uh, I think there's definitely an implication for believers. It's not saying, you know, when you hear, you're going to get more. And then if you don't hear, you're going to get less. You're going to have it taken away from you. I think it's actually showing the two kinds of responses, believer and unbeliever. Believers, they respond rightly to the Word and as a result continue to get more. Unbelievers don't respond rightly to the Word. And as a result, they're going to have it all taken away from them. And at the time of judgment... They're going to be left standing with nothing because they don't even—they ha- don't have any foundation. That's that's what I think he's doing, trying to separate two groups here, saying how you listen matters and how you listen will be made known. So, be careful how you hear, and because how you uh, and, and the reason for that is because how you hear will become evident. Now Jesus concludes this portion of teaching by teaching us what good listening looks like. Okay, so now we're thinking, okay, man, it's important to hear. We want to be that good soil that perseveres. So what does that look like? And here it is in this story in verses 19 to 21. And here's a third point. You are identified with Christ when you hear God's Word and practice it. You are identified with Christ, you could say a little shorter, when you follow Him. 
Okay, Jesus' family come to talk with him. And Mark's Gospel tells us that his brothers at this time are coming to talk to him because they think he's a lunatic. You know, he, he, you're out of your mind. All of this popularity has gone to your head. And now you're drawing all these crowds. And I think you're going a little too far because John 7, 5 says, at this time his brothers did not believe. Okay, they, they saw him grow up and like, just like us, seems like. Remember, Jesus didn't reveal himself. He didn't reveal his miracles. He wasn't around, you know, doing magic tricks to people or something like that to his brothers to show them, hey, I'm the Messiah. It wasn't like that at all. He, he, he kept his identity hidden for the most part, and so they didn't believe. Well, they tried to get to him. His mother and brothers are standing outside, but the crowds are too big, and so they pass a message on to him and say, hey, can you let them know that we're waiting to see him? And here Jesus teaches us something very important in verse 21. And it is this. Spiritual blood is more important than physical blood. Spiritual blood is more important than physical blood. We say that blood is thicker than what? Water. What do we mean by that? We mean that, you know, when everybody else in life abandons us, who's left to love us? and to care for us. And who is it, generally speaking? It's our family, right? We want to be with people. We want to be with our family. We love our family. right? For the most part, it's generally true. I apologize if you don't have a good family. okay? But, and I recognize that. But, but generally speaking, blood is thicker than water. When we need to be bailed out, when tragedy strikes, you know, it's not your high school friends that come to your side. It's your family. But Jesus is saying there's something even more powerful than that bond that you have with the people that you know and love most. There's something more powerful. And it is a relationship with me. And spiritual blood. I'm more connected to people who follow me than I am connected to my own flesh and blood. Now, he wasn't saying that he hates his family or that his family didn't care about him. But what he's saying is has to be for the the Jewish readers and the Jewish audience here. It has to be completely shocking. Because if he is the Messiah, as we've been trying to figure out throughout Luke's gospel, is he who is this man? If he's the Messiah, man, who is he going to take care of? Right, man, he's going to take care of his own people, the Jews, and who is he especially going to exalt? His own family, right? Like, what would happen if you became the king or the president? What do you take into the White House with you? Some of your buddies from high school? or No. Okay, you take your family. And, and so if Jesus becomes the Messiah, if He is the Messiah, and He starts to rule and reign, you know who's going to be at the center of what He's doing? His mother and His brothers. And Jesus says, no. You know who I'm closest to? I'm closest, not to the people who are my flesh and blood. I'm closest to the people who follow me, who hear. Notice verse 21. My mother and my brothers, my, the people who are closest to me, are those who hear the Word of God and do it or put it into practice. Jesus is tearing down the walls of these previous assumptions and saying, you know who I as the King identify with the most? Identify with those who are part of my spiritual family. He goes against all convention and opens the door to everyone 
who will follow him. I don't care if you're a Jew. If you're a Jew, follow me. Great. I will identify with you as part of my family. But do you know what? You can be a Gentile. And you can be a part of my family. It is a person who hears the Word of God and puts it into practice. Christian, do you want to have a close relationship with the king? You don't have to be a descendant of one of his brothers. You simply must listen to the message from God and put it into practice. So be careful how you listen. Parable of the soils. How you listen will be exposed. Parable of the lamp. And then... uh, Listening well means responding to God's message with obedience. This passage is a great passage on helping us to see what the true nature of saving faith is. Saving faith is, yes, it does hear the Word of God, but it bears fruit. It perseveres till the end. It bears fruit with perseverance. Remember verse 15? Saving faith guards itself against the danger of riches and sinful and, and sinful pleasures, Right? It doesn't teeter on the edge of the world and and desire that. It actually guards itself against that because it wants to stay on the straight and narrow. Salvation comes by faith alone, but salvation, but but that faith is never alone. The faith that saves is never alone. That's the kind of the adage that people have used over the and it's a good one. Okay? We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. It actually results in works. It results in fruit with perseverance. So so don't just think, okay, I'm going to be carried into the clouds on flowery beds of ease, like the song says. No, it's not going to happen. Okay, we're 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 going to be uh responsible to bear fruit and we, we do that by we'll see here, by hearing and obeying. This passage is a passage that's about hearing. Verse 8 says, Let him who has ears, let him hear. Verse 10, uh, So that listening you may understand. Verses 12, 13, 14, and 15, Those who hear. Verse 18, You need to pay attention how you listen. Verse 21, Those who hear the Word of God. So this is all about Jesus telling us, Hey, hearing is important. It's important how you hear. How you hear will be exposed. And, and hearing well means listening to God's Word and doing it. But I think one of the most important principles that we can learn from this is that hearing is not enough. Hearing is not enough. And I will not stop reminding you about this point. It comes up over and over again as we study through the Scriptures. Turn back to chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 46. Remember when we looked at the analogy of the wise man and the foolish man? The difference between the two men was not that one heard the Word of God and the other didn't. The difference is seen here in verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my Word and acts on them, the same idea, and does it, as we saw in in, uh, verse 21 of chapter 8, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has, and here's the key word that we need to hear, one who has heard. See, they heard the Word of God too, but they did not act accordingly. 
And they are like a man who built a house on the ground on the ground without any foundation. The torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. The difference between a believer and an unbeliever is not that the believer hears the Word and the unbeliever doesn't hear the Word. In this illustration that Jesus used, this analogy, He's saying that the difference between a believer and an unbeliever is that a believer hears the Word of God and does something about it. The unbeliever hears the Word of God and does nothing. They don't act according to it. Be careful how you listen. To hear the Word of God is not enough. We must produce fruit if we're going to hear correctly. If I tell Josie, go clean your room. I give her a list of things that I expect to be done when it comes to cleaning her room. Okay, If she walks away and does nothing about it, she hasn't heard correctly or she hasn't acted upon what she's heard, right? So that's actually not helpful. See, hearing properly is always connected to an appropriate response because verses 12 and 13 show us this, right? With the... the These people hear the Word, but it's taken away. And they're never saved. Verse 13, they hear the Word and they receive it with joy, but there's no firm root. So they believe for a little while and temptation comes and takes it away. Verse 14, they hear the Word. They have heard, but they get choked out by the cares of this world. But the real hearing, the effective hearing, is the one that hears and holds fast to what they've heard and bears fruit with perseverance. Verse 15. And verse 21, it is those who hear My Word and do it. To hear, friends, is not enough. We must produce fruit if we're going to hear correctly. Now, keep in mind that we don't produce the fruit. right? We don't force the fruit, the spiritual fruit to come up. We can't force it to grow. But, we can cultivate the soil. Right? We can allow for conditions that are conducive with growth. Just like A real plant, we can't force the growth, but we can cultivate the soil. We make sure that there's plenty of sunlight, plenty of water. The weeds are taken away. Same thing is true in our Christian lives. We can't force the fruit of the Spirit to grow. We can't do it. It's something that God does within us. But we can be complicit to the work of the Spirit. We can be submissive as we listen to the Word of God. We can be listening and wanting to change. We can be looking inside and saying, what do I need to change? We need to walk by the Spirit if we're going to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Let me just give you a passage to just reflect on. Galatians 5, 16-25. I was going to take you there, but we don't have enough time. So, Galatians 5, 16-25. And there it says to walk by the Spirit. So you do not carry out the desires of the flesh. Okay, don't carry out the things that would be described of a carnal person. Um, And he goes on to list those things. He lists the bad things, the bad fruit that we could bear, and then he lists the good fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. And what he's saying there is that we need to walk in a manner that's worthy of our calling. We need to conduct our lives in such a way that lives in according to the Spirit. And, And the best way to do that is by hearing with faith. Here's how... We walk by the Spirit. Here's how we live in such a way that's consistent with a life that's complicit with the Spirit. It is hearing with faith. It's not enough to hear. We need to walk by the Spirit. And 
watch the Spirit produce the fruit of the Spirit. To walk by the Spirit is essentially hearing God's Word and acting on it. Okay, So we go from here. We go from every time we hear God's Word. We're not callous to it. We're not bored or tired of it. We, we long for it. We want it to change us, to, to refine us. And, and uh, as we do that, God works in the soil of our hearts to bring about good fruit and perseverance. We just keep on working all the way till the end. And God brings the growth. All right, let's pray. Father, we pray that you'd help us to listen well. Lord, we have lots of voices coming into our ears all week long, from work to the news to our family, neighbors, uh, even people uh, in our church. And then we hear you, and sometimes we put your voice on the same level as all those other voices and sometimes below all those other voices, and so we don't listen well. And Lord, we want to be people who listen well. We want to be people who respond well. We want to bear fruit with perseverance. So Lord, help each person here tonight to respond rightly to your word, to be more complicit to the work of your spirit as he works within us to bear the fruit that he promises. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.